great privilege to be here today uh, to speak the word of God this morning. We happened, I, when Matt told me that he'd like for me to preach today, I was, okay, that's, that's good. I, I like that. I like to do that. I like to get up in front of people and share the word of God. But I, then he told me what passages of scripture that I get to do. And that was a real treat because I absolutely love this passage of scripture. This is a wonderful fulfillment of promises made before as well as warnings to the children of Israel as well as a prophetic voice unto what is yet to come and how it is yet to be fulfilled. So this is a beautiful thing. I'm going to be looking over my shoulder quite a bit here to try to do what I'm supposed to do this morning. So my multitasking may be challenged today. So please bear with me. Um, we've been going through the book of De Deuteronomy, and we've been talking about what Yahweh is giving you. Um, these are all the promises that God is saying to um, the children through Moses. Moses is talking to them and saying, this is God's word for you. And in what God, Yahweh is giving you, today we're going to talk about a king, a priest, a prophet. And in the, the wrap-up, in the summation, we're going to be looking at us and him. And when you have this king, priest, and prophet, um, this, this isn't something new in the book of Deuteronomy. This isn't something that just come out of nowhere. Um, the king is the one who has dominion over. And, and this is something that had, had been a long time, we shall see. Um, the priest, the priestly duties, the priestly obligations are to, to work and to serve and to keep and to guard. And then the prophet is the one who communicates God's word to the people. And so these are very important roles that have been established in scripture. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, we're going to start off in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. Those of you who take notes, sharpen your pencils. Make sure you have plenty of ink. Uh, there's a lot today. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 and 15, Moses says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say... I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. Now this is rather interesting. Because up until this point, Israel's kind of been wandering around under Moses. Doing things. And now here all of a sudden you get this. When you get there. When you take possession. And say. Not if. Not maybe you will. But when you do get there and say. Oh we want a king. Like the other nations. 
we want a king like them over there. Does God say, don't do it? No, actually, here, God says, you're going to do it. And when you do it, when you ask for that king, you're to appoint the king I choose. So again, we have this, Yahweh is giving you the person to appoint as king. Yahweh is giving you the land which you possess. And this is kind of back in Genesis 17, a fulfillment. Because in Genesis 17, starting in verse 1, it says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Now, I'm not quite 99 years old yet. But I will multiply you greatly being told to a 99 year old may sound a little far-fetched. And what is Abram's response? Then Abram fell face down. And God spoke with him. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. This again is one of those parts where Abram says, Huh? I'm 99. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you. That's a nice, it's a nice thing hearing that coming from God. I will make you. I will do for you. I will bring you into a land. I will make this covenant with you. God says a lot of times in scripture, I will do these things. And here he says to Abram, I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God says a lot of I wills here. God makes a lot of promises here to Abram. God does a lot of things from here on forward to fulfill this. In verse 15 of the same chapter, God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So when we read in Deuteronomy 17 that the Israelites in the future will be asking for a king like other nations, it's not a surprise to God. 
it's also a fulfillment of what God is saying to Abraham and Sarah. And later on, in Genesis 35, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padam Aram. And he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Wow, that sounds familiar. That's what God told Abram. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you. And kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. And I will give the land to your future descendants. Again, God repeats, I will, I will, I will. These are things that God does. These are not things that we do. These are not things that man can do on their own and be blessed by it. So we can fast forward into the future and go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's all the elders of Israel after they entered the land, after they went in, after the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a fun book to read with your children because if they're listening and pay attention, they start hearing something that happens in the book of Judges right before this event. What do they start hearing? They start hearing, and the children of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They each did what they thought was right in their own. They start hearing these things. And so you start getting this, this warning that's coming up subtly throughout the book of Judges that, wait a second, something's not right. Something's not happening right. They're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. They're not following God's commandments. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And then you get Samuel who comes and is approached by the elders and the leadership of Israel and says to him at Ramah, Look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Should Samuel's age be a concern to them? Should, should Really, should, should the elders come up and, and the first thing they say, hey, uh, you're getting old. Should that be the first thing they say? Should that be the primary concern? Who's going to lead us? You're old. Well, God approached Abram when he was 99 years old to make a promise to make great nations come from him. That shouldn't be a concern. Now, the concern of their... Of the sons, that's a good concern to have. Your sons do not follow in your ways. They do not walk in your ways. Therefore, they said, therefore appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. 
He was approached by some people that asked of him something that he thought was not right. And so what does he do? He goes and seeks the counsel of the Lord in prayer. A wonderful example of what we should do when we have situations that come into our life, when people approach us or talk to us, or when we have to consider things that don't necessarily seem right, we should seek the Lord in prayer. And that's what Samuel does. He prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to the people of Israel. Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Now, Deuteronomy 17 tells us that we just read that God's telling them through Moses that they're going to ask for a king like other nations. Does that seem wrong? Is it wrong for them to approach and ask for a king? Well, the question's not in what they're asking. The question is in the heart in which they're asking it. See, those of us who follow Christ need to have a heart condition. We need to have a heart condition. Our heart condition should be a heart of humility and open hand, servant heart for the Lord. Without that, then we can sound like these elders who approach Samuel and say, we want a king to rule us just like the other nations have. Well, what about these other nations? Remember, this is in the time of the judges when you got all these other nations who come in, they decimate and take people into slavery. I mean, you got all this stuff going on. You got wars and battles through the book of Judges. You got disobedience on the part of the Israelites over and over again, you know, the whole doing what's right in the sight of their own eyes and not what's right in the Lord's eyes. You got this turning away from God's commandments going on incessantly. Then they get punished. Well, what if we were like the other nations? Would it be easier on us? Would it be easier for us if we just didn't follow God's commandments? Maybe if we had a king that would rule over us like them, maybe that would be good. God knows that they're rejecting him and his rule and his authority and his kingship. And he comforts Samuel in that. Look, it's not you. You haven't done anything wrong. You've been faithful. You've been obedient. And that's why this distresses you. That's why the elders coming to you, rejecting me, distresses you, Samuel. But it's all right. They are doing the same thing they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt. until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. See, this is, this is the point that God's making to Samuel. They're doing the same thing 
since I made them into a nation. They're doing the same thing. They're rejecting me. They're going after the golden calf. They're going after other gods. They're going after what other nations do. They're rejecting me despite what I have given to them, despite what the Lord had given to them, the blessings, the leadership through the wilderness, all these things. See, we've been talking a lot in Deuteronomy about how they should be remembering what God has promised and delivered to them. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan looking out at the promised land. It's right there before them. And these people, these elders... In Samuel's day, they're in it. They're living in a land that filled with orchards they didn't plant. Living in homes that they didn't build. Because they went in under God's leadership. The Lord continues to Samuel, he says, listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Now that, that's the fun part. That's the part where everybody goes, num, 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 We don't care what the king's going to do. We just want one. We don't, we don't care. How do we know? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, 17, 16, this is what, after, after, you know, when they come and ask for the king, you know, when they come, ask for the king, appoint the one that I have chosen, right? He must not, the king, must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. Well, in 1 Kings, Solomon, as king, he has horses imported from Egypt. And Q, the king's tra traders bought them from Q at the going price. The chariot was imported from Egypt for 15 pounds of silver and a horse for nearly four pounds. In the same way, they exported them all to the king of the Hittites and to the kings of Amram through their gates. Hmm. Well, let's go back to Deuteronomy 17. Verse 17 says... The first part of it says he must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. Well, 1 Kings 11, 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you are not to intermarry with them. And they must not intermarry with you. Why? Because they will turn you away from me. 
They will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines, and they turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God and his father David as his father David had been. Solomon fathered, followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high palace for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. On the hill across from Jerusalem, he did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. And here in 1 Kings 10.21, all of King Solomon's drinking cups were gold and all the utensils of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. There was no silver since it was considered as nothing in Solomon's time for the king had ships of Tarshish at sea with Hiram's fleet. And once every three years, the ships of Tarshish would arrive bearing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Seems like there's a contradiction going on here between what the king is being told in Deuteronomy not to do and what the king in Kings is doing and had done. Seems like a contradiction. And if we go back to Samuel, we find out that Samuel does warn the elders and tell them about the rights of the king. And this is what the king does. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. Reign is another way we can say have dominion over. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants and your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys, and use them for his work. 
He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. The warnings didn't matter. So what's, what are we going to take from this today? The biggest thing that I take from this is that we should not put our hope, our trust in man to deliver us from whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in. It doesn't matter your political affiliation. Setting a monarch, a governor, a council, a legislature, a senate, a president, it doesn't matter. You're not going to find any relief from oppression because this is what man does when man has power. They will take your children. They will take your donkey. They will take your land. And they will give it and use it to whom they want and however they want. And here's the reason why. The king is instructed in Deuteronomy 17, 18. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him and he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. This scroll is to remain with him and he is to read it every day. Now, how can we read kings on what Solomon did? And we can even go a little bit further back in time and look at what David did. We can go back a little bit further in time and look at what Saul did as kings of Israel. And we can see that, mm, I don't know that they did this every day while they were on their throne. And if they did, they didn't follow it fully which again leads us to fall back into the place that we cannot seek out men to answer all of our problems. The Levitical priests, switching gears, the Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. 
And this is an interesting thing because when they got into the land, they divided the land up based on the tribes. And so there were 12 tribes, but the Levites don't get anything, right? But Joseph has two sons, so you still have 12, okay? So you still got 12. But the Levites get nothing. They have no portion, no inheritance. They will eat the Lord's fire offerings. That is their inheritance. Although the Levi has no inheritance among his brother, the Lord is his inheritance, as he promised him. Well, that does not sound like a consolation prize to me. That sounds like the big winner. If you think of all the problems that the land is giving, the Levites... They inherit the Lord. How wonderful is that? See, the role of the priest, if we remember, is to work, to serve, to keep, and to guard. This is the priest's share from the people who offer a sacrifice, whether it is an ox, a sheep, or a goat. The priests are to be given the shoulder, jaws, and stomach. You are to give him the first fruits of your grain, new wine and fresh oil and the first sheared wool of your flock. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and minister in his name from now on. That's a blessing. That's a gift. That's a wonderful inheritance When a Levite leaves one of your towns in Israel where he was staying and wants to go to the place the Lord chooses, he may serve in the name of the Lord as God like all his fellow Levites who minister there in the presence of the Lord. They will eat equal portions besides what he has received from the sale of family estate. And we see in Numbers that this is coming from God to Aaron. The Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons, and your ancestral family will be responsible for iniquity against the sanctuary. That's the guarding part, the keeping part. You and your sons will be responsible for iniquity involving your priesthood. But also bring your relatives with you from the tribe of Levi, your ancestral tribe, so they may join you and assist you and your sons in front of the tent of testimony. This is wonderful. Not just the sons of Aaron, but the whole Levites get to participate in keeping and guarding and serving and working for the Lord, inheriting the Lord as their blessing. They are to perform duties for you and for the whole tent. They must not come near the sanctuary equipment or the altar, otherwise they and you will die. That's a heavy responsibility. They are to join you and guard the tent of meeting, doing all the work at the tent, but no authorized per- unauthorized person may not come near you. So guarding and working the tent, which becomes the temple. 
See, this is, this is what God says to Aaron. This is your blessing. This is your inheritance. This is what I'm giving to you. Why, did I press the wrong button? Oh, I did. My fault. In Ezekiel, we have this in the future. In Ezekiel, the prophet speaking mostly to an exiled people in Babylonian captivity after disobedience became so much that they had to be carried away. Say to the rebellious people, the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. I have had enough of all your detestable practices, house of Israel. When you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in both heart and flesh to occupy my sanctuary, you defiled my temple while you offered my food, the fat and the blood. You broke my covenant by all your detestable practices. You have not kept charge of my holy things, but have appointed others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Shame on them. The priesthood didn't fulfill its obligation to keep and to guard and to work and to serve in the house of the Lord. Then those are very strong words that God has said to his people. You didn't hold the Levites accountable and responsible for this behavior. You allowed it to happen too. But interestingly enough, it wasn't just the priesthood that was given the responsibility of keeping and guarding. See, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. This responsibility, this duty was given to man to work and to guard, to be good stewards of what the Lord has given to us. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2. In Numbers 18.20, the Lord told Aaron, You will not have an inheritance in their land. There will be no portion among them for you. I am your portion and your inheritance among the Israelites. And looking forward again in Ezekiel 44... This will be their inheritance, speaking of the priests. I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. So now we can talk about the prophet aspect. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. Detestable customs of those nations. Now, I'm going to give you homework 
because a good teacher does these things. Your homework is to read Leviticus chapter 18 because it is very important to understand Deuteronomy 18 in context with Leviticus 18. And here's why. Because in Leviticus 18, Yahweh spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. He continues on later. See, the filler part is the part you're supposed to read. Okay? He continues on a little later, though. Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices. See, now you're curious. Well, what, what are these practices? Do your homework and you'll find out. Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices. For the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these things. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. But you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts whether the native or the alien who resides among you. For the people who were in the land prior to you have committed all these detestable acts and the land has become defiled. If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. Any person who does any of these detestable practices is to be cut off from his people. You must keep my instruction to not do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Are you hearing a theme? I am the Lord your God. I will. You are too. Leviticus chapter 18 lays out the exact reason why God's judgment fell upon the inhabitants of Canaan. Why Israel was created to become a nation was because God chose. And God went before them and conquered a land on their behalf because the detestable practices of the inhabitants. Actions, consequences. And God gives them a good warning. Don't do these things because if you do, it'll end up the exact same way. And some other nation will be used just like I'm using you to bring judgment against a sinful land. The land itself even had become defiled. And the imagery of being vomited out of the land... is very vivid. 
No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a spiritualist, or inquire of the dead. These are very specific things. These are some of the things that these nations have been doing. These are some of these nation practices that have kings over them. And now these, their prophets, their false gods, their things. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord and the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though these nations you are about to drive out, listen to fortune tellers and diviners, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. God is giving contrast. God is giving us wisdom here. This is wisdom. Here are the things that you shouldn't do. This is the people who do, does the things that you shouldn't do. And here's what's happening to them. If you do these things that I'm telling you to do and keep my word, obey my commandments, then you will live. God is giving to Israel here instructions that will give them blessing, happiness, long life, and joy. And it includes working and serving and keeping and guarding and having dominion. In Deuteronomy 18.15, the prophet is spoken of. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, we could dwell for a very long time on this. So I will be brief. Prophets over and over after Moses had been lifted up and had given warnings. We have some of their writings, most of the Old Testament beyond what we have in Song of Solomon, those are all prophet writings, all these prophets. Some of them, like Jeremiah, was told to shut up and go away because the people did not want to hear what the prophet or the one who communicates God's word was saying to them. And it didn't change in Jesus' day either. In John 1.21, you have this being asked of John the Baptist. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? John I am not, he said. Are you a prophet? No, he answered. 
Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. In, hold on, let's try that again. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and the ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Those people who were sent to inquire of John the Baptist if he was Elijah are looking for this. They're looking for the great and awesome, terrible day of the Lord to come. And here's John the Baptist out there at the river doing things that were not very priestly. So if he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a king, well, there's only one other explanation as to what he is. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet that the scriptures talk about? John knows better to answer that question in the affirmative. But this is why they're looking for it. They're looking for the prophet, the one that comes. In Matthew chapter 21, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is all in fulfillment of what the Deuteronomy has to say about the ones who communicate God's word, the prophets. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see his great fire any longer so that we will not die. Why would they die? Because God is holy, and they are not. Because God is righteous, and they are not. And God's holiness and righteousness should be terrifying. Then the Lord said to me, Moses, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. 
This is the purpose of the prophet. The prophet is to communicate God's word to the people. To instruct what the Lord has said. And sometimes it's even just reminding them what he has already said. But. That's a fun word in scripture. But. The prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. And we see this happen in scripture. The prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord did not send you, but you have led these people to trust in a lie. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to send you off the face of the earth. You will die this year because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. And the prophet Hananiah died that year in the seventh month. So communicating the word of God is a very weighty responsibility. It is a very important duty that we have. But it has consequences if done incorrectly. Continuing on in Deuteronomy, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Well, where do we find messages in the Lord's name that have been true and fulfilled in his word. This is our barometer. We have such a wonderful place today in this time and age that we have God's word available to us that we can be discerning over what we hear being preached and taught because we can compare it to God's own word. In our own language. We can look at what people say in relationship to what God has spoken. And know whether or not to be afraid. In Acts chapter 3. This is Peter speaking. And now brothers and sisters I know that you have acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent. And turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. Again, we have a wonderful gift. We have the words of Christ himself. 
that we can listen to, that we can read. In the New Testament, when you hear the gospel message being preached, you will see, repent and turn back so that your sins may be forgiven. This is the message of the apostles in the New Testament. Repent, repent. And even in the beginning of Mark, in the beginning of John's earth, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, he preaches repentance and the kingdom of God. So this brings us to us and him. The prophet, priest, and king is all together. How is that? Well, in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Have dominion over my creation. I am giving you a kingly duty, humanity. You have a responsibility. And in Revelation, we see this. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Now, if we were given kingly duties, that makes him our king. Because we are kings, we are given that responsibility to be kings. But he is the king of kings. The priestly responsibilities in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy our inheritance, just like the Levitical priesthood, our inheritance is the Lord. And we are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a priesthood of kings. And we have a responsibility to guard and keep and serve and work for our master. 
in Hebrews chapter 8. Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. If we are priests... If we are a royal priesthood, he is our high priest. He is the one who goes behind the curtain and stands before the Father for us. That's the point. When we are called to Christ, we are a royal priesthood. Submissive to our King of kings and Lords our Lords. Submissive to the high priest and prophet. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with it, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. We are also called to be communicators of God's truth, the truth that's found in his word. We have this responsibility. We have this call to stay alert in prayer, to be aware, open-eyed, to look for the doors and pray for one another that the doors for gospel conversations open that we can communicate God's truth of salvation only through Christ to others. That's our role. That's our duty. So John writes in Revelation 19, standing next to that angelic being who's showing him all of this wonderful stuff. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Now, I want to point something out here very quickly. There are a lot of times where people in Scripture fall down and worship something. Here is an instance where they are corrected in which direction to point their worship. Here John falls at the feet and is told, whoa now, settle down there, buddy. Um, your worship is going in the wrong way here. Not me. Not me. Worship God. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Communication of God's word, of God's truth, of God's redemption and salvation. It's Jesus. So there are a lot of times in the Gospels where we see where people fall to worship Jesus and he doesn't do the same thing. 
He does not say, whoa, 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 don't worship me. I'm just Jesus. That's very important. That's very important because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Because Jesus is the spirit of God's word and truth being spoken to us, through us, and to others. We are prophets, priests, and kings. Those of us who know Christ. This is our responsibility. This is, this is our call to be. Interesting, I don't have it on the slide. But there's a passage of scripture in John chapter 7 that's really neat. In John chapter 7, starting in verse 45. All right. This is the leadership, servants of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Right? They went out. They were sent out. Go and, go and bring this Jesus to us. And they returned without Jesus. And here's what they said. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? They didn't have Jesus with them. The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Jesus spoke with the authority that he had the authority of God. And no one got that. Now my prayer for those of us who know Christ is that we speak with such authority to others who need to hear it. That, that we communicate the words of God, that we keep and guard and work and serve for our master, that we are responsible stewards of all that God gives us.